0: this is passing for normal conversations with artists activists and awakeners about how they are seeding change in the world I'm your host Sharon Weil, author of Donnie and Ursula save the world and the new book changeability a work of nonfiction exploring how to navigate change with more effectiveness and ease how do you find courage how do you become more effective in navigating change Find out when you join us for fun and insightful discussion with some very inspirational people about how to turn purpose and passion into action, while at the same time, Passing for Normal. Hello and welcome to Passing for Normal Season 3, where my guest is Dr. Lauren Roche, eclectic meditation master and teacher, and author of The Radiant Sutras. On this show, I have the privilege of engaging in fascinating conversations with amazing change makers and change writers about the very nature of change, the important personal and societal changes that they work with, and how to inspire you, the listener, in initiating or adapting to the changes that you want to see in your own life. So I'm delighted to be speaking with Lauren Roche. Welcome.
1: Thanks. It's fun to be with with you, and it's always good to talk with you, Sharon.
0: I know. It's always good, and this time we just uh, get to have other listeners listening in. Um, So I just want to say that anyone who is a meditator or who would like to be will feel a great opening when listening to Lauren. Um, So first, I'd just like to say a few words of introduction before we begin. Lauren Roche, PhD, is a meditation master, a teacher, an author, and a true innovator when it comes to the practice of meditation. Courting all the colors, rhythms, and feelings within the movement of change, he's helped bring meditation into the Western mainstream by shaking up what our beliefs are about it and providing new portals for entering. He's been meditating for nearly 50 years since he was 18 years old when he discovered practices spontaneously as part of a scientific research project at the University of California. After years of his own research, study, and teaching of meditation practices from all over the world throughout time, he has pioneered personalized meditation practice techniques around an individual's nature that are unique portals for each person. He is the author of many wonderful and helpful books, several written with his wife, Camille Maureen, such as Meditation Secrets for Women and Meditation 24-7, and books he himself has authored, such as Meditation Made Easy and his elegant, enlivening translation of Vijnana Bhirava Tantra in the Radiant Sutras, 112 Gateways to the Yoga of Wonder and Delight. A life's work that is so beautiful in its universal truth and poetry, it deserves a life devoted to bringing it forward. Lauren and Camille teach around the world, training teachers as well as students from all walks of life. So, Lauren, you have so much to offer in regards to meditation. And um, because this show is about change, I want to shape our conversation about meditation around change, about perceiving change, writing change, co-creating with change. So how does meditation, as you experience it, facilitate change?
1: Meditation is a name that we give to a whole set of instincts in the human body that have to do with it with adapting to change. These bodies that we're inhabiting are geniuses at survival. Now, most of us don't use the adaptive capacity of our bodies to the extremes that our grandmothers did and great-grandmothers and great-great-grandmothers and great-great-great-grandfathers and great-great-great-uncles. The people who built the world that we're inhabiting. They, they worked hard and they suffered and they died and they made the best of really challenging circumstances. I mean, somewhere not very long ago, your great, great grandparents were probably walking barefoot through the snow,
2: Hmm.
1: nursing a child, nursing a child, And maybe you had to walk for hundreds of miles with no food, finding a little sip of water along the way. And before that, really recently, in terms of the world's history, people were doing just the most outrageous things, migrating, walking across whole continents, just just making do. So our bodies are geniuses at adapting to change, changing climates, changing countries, changing family structures and bodies need to rest. We, we cycle through waking, we're awake and running around for hours a day. And then, oh, my God, I've got to go to sleep. I'm so tired. I can't stay awake. It's like, oh. And then we lie down, and when we're sleeping, which is necessary, the body repairs itself and assimilates the lessons of the day, integrates it, whatever we learned, integrates it, and we cycle through sleeping and dreaming. So this waking, dreaming, sleeping These are built into the human body. We all know them. And you'll die if you don't sleep and dream. Mm -hmm. If you don't sleep, you'll just die. You'll break down and die. And if you don't dream, your brain will go crazy because dreaming is when the brain's sort of sorting, integrating, putting away all the stuff. And we all know what a great night's sleep does. You wake up refreshed, good to go, like. It's a bit of a feeling of being brand new. Well, Meditation is, in a sense, just an extension of sleeping and dreaming, but deeper.
2: Mm.
1: You close your eyes, usually, if you sit down, not cross-legged, because that's uncomfortable for most people, but you sit down comfortably with some back support, probably, if you can. Sit against a tree, if you want, with your feet out. You sit down in a comfortable pose. You let your eyes close of themselves. You don't make your eyes close. You, you, you start with what's something so beautiful about life that I want to bathe in it right now. I want to be filled with it. I want to float away. I want to drift off. I want to be drenched in it. What's something that I love and need, and it could be anything. You could say, I want to be in the presence of the baby Jesus. You could you could say, I want to listen in my mind to Bach concertos. It could be, I want to just rest inside my favorite prayer, a poem. You could pick a word or an image or a sensation or the flow of sensation in your body. You can pick whatever you want. The more delightful it is to you, the better. The more rejuvenating that it feels, the better.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and you just bathe in it. It feels like an indulgence. It feels like through the mind, it's the equivalent of eating chocolate or mm-hmm. sipping wine or some vice. It feels meditation should feel like a, a slightly sinful indulgence. I love that. And when you do and when you do this, and this has been studied in labs at Harvard Medical School for decades. It's very solid scientific research. When you do this and you welcome mind wandering, that's very important, within three to five minutes your body will settle into a state of rest that's deeper than deep sleep. And there have been hundreds of scientific papers published on this since 1972 And it's been replicated. So that's what I mean that meditation is a built-in human instinct
0: I love it and um, uh, You know you you said um, mind-wandering, you know, so many people think those people that do meditate or, you know, have some idea of meditation, think of meditation as often as a, as a, as some sort of discipline, you know, that they have to quiet their mind and they have to shut off that wandering. Um, you're saying something very different.
1: Very different. Well, there's different rules for different types of people. If you just make your mind be a way back machine, like a time travel machine, Before a hundred years ago, what percentage of meditators were monks and yogis and swamis?
0: Like a hundred percent maybe?
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe a hundred percent. Like Basically all of the books and all of the teachers and almost all of the traditions were constructed for people living a reclusive life. And so they would have gone through a process of giving up their name, giving up their family, maybe even attending a ceremony of their own death
2: Mm.
1: in a funeral. And, um, in certain cultures they would take, it's a little thing where you can never, ever receive a family inheritance ever. It's irrevocable. It's very important for the family structures that you, you have no claims on the family farm. So you're, you're not a member of the family anymore. It's irrevocable and you're gone. And so you've given your body and soul to the spiritual order and you've got a new name and you don't own anything. You, I guess, I don't know if you own your begging bowl and your robe, but your job is to be professionally religious. So they have been the custodians of the meditation traditions. A lot of my teachers were that way, the whole lineage, really, except for a few. And and so the rules are different. Apparently, if you're a monk, especially if you're like a 20-year-old male monk up in the Himalayas, you're not supposed to let your mind wander like who knows what mischief a teenage monk would get into Mm -hmm. but that's for them those rules were worked out and time tested and the job of supervising male monks living in religious orders the job is for those supervisors but guess what People living in the Western world who have jobs and families and are not monks, guess what? They have a slightly different lifestyle. I mean, who knew? Who knew that if a modern woman, a mom, say, or someone who owns a business tries to meditate, tries to pretend that she's a male monk living in the Himalayas who has nothing to do all day and no friends and no sex life (laughs) and no life and no house, and no car, and no kids, and no to-do list, other than just get up, read a book, and go beg for some food. (laughs) Who knew that a modern person would need a different approach to meditation?
0: That's right, who knew? You knew.
1: What a surprise.
0: Yeah. Anyway, the changes
1: are subtle, but important. For if you're a male monk or a nun, you tend to practice detachment. If, say, you're a mom and a business owner and a writer, you practice a combination of attachment and detachment. It's it's a more complicated game.
0: Like going you're, back and forth. Between yeah, them. like yeah. with your kids.
1: Your kids. If you are practice detachment when you have a... 6 month old baby you're gonna raise a schizophrenic people evolve through attachment so anytime a teacher is going blah 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 about detachment just red flag they don't know what they're talking about
2: mm-hmm.
1: they're if they're speaking to a people who live in the world red flag, It's like DD spray, let's spray DDP on everything. It's a, it's a something, it's a good thing, but out of place. People who live in the world have to practice a science of attachment, which means bonding. A contract is an attachment. A friendship is an attachment. A family is an attachment. All these, drop the phone. Is everything fine? Yeah. Yeah, All these things are attachments. And people who live in the world and who aren't nuns or monks, we evolve through honoring our bonds, bonding, friendship, communities, our businesses. We we honor our obligations. And so it's it's quite a science. And it's very microsecond. Like when you shake hands with somebody that for a se- half a second it's an attachment. You grab them or you hug them, and then you let go. It's it's very exact. You want to be totally alert to the sense of attachment and detachment. And detachment, and with your kids, and detachment. Like with your kids, like moms know that your kid. You have a two-year-old, three-year-old, four. Every two minutes, they're in a different stage. First, they need mom. They want to run over, mom, 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 and then they want to run off and be independent. And then they go out the door for the first day at school and they're off being an independent person and the moms must suffer and yet they're proud. Oh, but the tug on the heart, when you see your kids go out the door and they're running around out there being free and independent. And then they want to come back and have a sandwich, or tell you about it, or have you put a bandage on their scratch.
0: Right,
2: that's right. That's so a it's
0: high. right. So it's a practice of allowing it's practice. Yeah, allowing the detachment and and being alert to when the moment is come again for the reattachment. You know, the attachment, the detachment. the Yeah, exactly. yeah.
1: And yeah, so. it's game on. Yep, you, you have to be alert to every microsecond of change in your kids. And if it, you're talking about friends or a lover, you have to be alert to every institute. Say you have a lover. Well, there's a whole dance of giving them space to be and then coming together and being cozy. Say you have a lover and you go visit. And then you hug each other all night. And then it's like they jump up and they rush out the door to go to work. That's attachment and honoring, bonding, getting close and intimate, and then letting there be distance. It's a high level game, all this daring to love somebody, an actual human being, as opposed to, say, loving an abstract God. It's terrifying to be truly intimate and now your happiness is completely dependent upon another person. I mean you're at least you're deeply affected by their well-being. Intimacy is a high level of the dance with life because everybody's always changing. You're changing continuously and the people you love are changing continuously. And what they want from you is changing continuously.
0: Right. So you're, you're meeting new in every moment, even though it doesn't seem like it, or it's easy to gloss over and say, oh, well, today looks the same as yesterday. Yeah. But it is a new moment, right? And it's so many of these. It's a
1: new moment. And that's one of the things that meditation is great for. It's for letting life feel brand new in every moment at a simplest level. The effective meditation on the body and the brain is like a really profound night's sleep. Like, oh, my God, like, I feel so good. It just like rested and fresh. And because people meditate, say they meditate for 20 minutes in the morning before breakfast and 20 minutes before dinner. Well, that's 40 minutes of a rest that's scientifically shown to be deeper than sleep. Sometimes, within a couple of days, people start feeling, holy shit, this is amazing. But there's no drug that does this. Because there is no drug that can make you feel as good in a steady, subtle way as a good night's sleep. There's nothing. There's no wine. There's no alcohol. There's no pill. There's no nothing you can puff that just gives you a steady, like, Whoa the world is a better place. And that's what meditation is famous for. What people don't get is how utterly simple it is. I mean, it's really simple.
0: Say more, say more you about could, how simple.
1: Because
0: a lot of people well, don't think it's simple. You, a lot of people think, oh, I can't meditate. I can't do that. I can't sit still. I can't, you know, so talk about how simple it is.
1: Well, this is where human psychology, where, um, there's a part of us that wants things to be complicated and torturous. It, <laughs> and I say something. If I, When I tell the truth and I say meditation is very simple mm-hmm. and it's instinctive, and it's instinctive. And here's how say that there's two lectures. My lecture will have like 10 people in it or eight. And if you have another lecture, so here is meditation being complicated, it's very esoteric. These are secrets. It's heavy-duty lineage. It's, this is like Buddha's special secret teaching. You're going to have to grovel before the guru. There's levels and levels of it. There will be 100 people over there. So
2: Gosh.
1: Um, when I was 27 or something, I would occasionally do that kind of thing and fill, fill giant rooms with um, when giving talks. But it's just true that meditation is really, really simple. The key is that you have to find your own natural gateways because there's uh, hundreds of different techniques. And the key is to find what fits your particular instinctive nature. Like one person may need meditation to feel like listening to music. Another person may need it to feel like receiving a very delicate massage. Someone else may need meditation to feel like inhaling the scent of a garden, that there's flowers, and I'm just delighting that simple instinctive feeling of inhaling like there's a gardenia over there or jasmine. Mm. And another person might need meditation to feel like, sitting with your eyes open, gazing at the horizon. And someone else might need meditation to feel like soul music, like listening to something, that, that feeling that's sorrowful and so beautiful that it makes your heart melt and ache. Mm. And someone else might need meditation to feel like sunbathing, mm. like just lying in um, lying in the beach soaking up rays. And someone else might need meditation to feel like surfing. Like they're in a dynamic flow being tossed around by waves. And someone else might need meditation to feel like dancing. Like wild dancing, like the way young people do it. They'll take ecstasy and dance for six hours. That might be somebody's natural meditative state, just to just to sit in the morning and feel that way without the nightclub, without the drugs, without 15 foot high speakers and without a thousand people, just right. to feel Im- immersed in the beauty and to feel the dance. Cause all these things are actually happening in our bodies and we can just feel that way regardless you could sit in a hotel room while you are traveling and feel that way, and bathe in that feeling. What, Sharon?
0: Well, what you what you are speaking to in all these examples um, are coming through the senses. You know, you are speaking of fragrance, and you are speaking of sensation of touch, or or the sensation of excitement, or something visual. So, so clearly, you are talking about portals that come through the senses, or at least are imagined sensation of the senses?
1: Um, yes, you, you use the senses. Um, the word mindfulness is beautiful. It's fine. It's a little dry, but it works as a good general cover for meditation. But if you look at the techniques of, say, of mindfulness or the classical meditation techniques, it's use your senses, to pay attention to something. For example, breathing. Because breathing is not an abstract phenomenon. Breathing is smell. It's coming in through your nose or through your mouth. So it's smell and taste. Or you could say smell, even though the air is flowing around inside your mouth, down your throat. Breathing is movement, which you can detect if your rib cage expands and contracts, there's the touch of the air sliding up your nose, around the sinuses, down the back of your throat. And you can hear yourself breathe if you listen. We we, we we sort of tune it out, so to speak. But if you listen, even if you're breathing quietly, you can hear yourself breathe. So breathing is a sensuous experience, and that's what you do when you're meditating. Pretty... There are meditation techniques that you start, abstract, but basically many of the techniques, you take hearing, touch, seeing, smell, taste, motion. We have senses of motion. Oh, and we also have about a dozen other senses besides the five. We have an oxygen sense. Mm. We can detect the oxygen in the body and when we need to breathe, that's a sense we have a sense of joint position and a sense of balance, for example. So all of the senses, and there's, that's at least a dozen you want to include. You use them as gateways into meditation and you can use any combination. You can use all senses simultaneously. And the basic movement is the body pulsates between deep
2: restfulness
1: and getting excited. So when you meditate inwardly, you go through this rhythm where you're settling down. Oh God, incredible relaxation. Then I want to jump up and go do stuff. And then you sit there thinking of your to-do list and, and then, Oh, be so fun to run around, do all those things. And then, ah, I think I'll meditate just for a few more minutes. Then you pulsate like that, maybe every 30 seconds to 90 seconds. That's, most people experience during meditation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So you're and, saying that nat- you're saying per- that that's a natural rhythm. That's a natural rhythm. Mm-hmm.
1: And then because people uh, pointlessly approach meditation as a war against thought, people <laughs> who do that and keep at it, they they kind of tame themselves inside. Eventually, they create such an inner war that they're part of their impulse. Gives up. They sedate themselves. It's like a dog. If you ignore it for so long, it even gives up barking. And mm-hmm. It just sits there, depressed. So a lot of people are actually cultivating depression when they meditate. They're actually practicing suppression, which then lead to depression. There's a lot of depressed meditators out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Because you're saying they force themselves to. They force themselves to override that <clears throat> that impulse, that rhythm, that natural rhythm.
1: Yeah, because that's what we learn in like kindergarten, mm-hmm. so it turns out that no matter what the meditation teacher says, and there's there's a lot of friendly meditation teachers out there, if you interview people in the audience, hey, meditation teacher's up there talking to a thousand people, if you interview people two days later who are practicing that they've taken something when they're practicing and say, well, what exactly are you doing in there? And you have to, it actually takes about an hour. You have to listen, you meditate together and say, okay, what just happened? And I say, well, a thought came, what would you do? Well, it's like, and you'll get, they'll say basically, well, I swatted the thought and then I felt like a failure because the thought came mm. and then I dragged my attention back to the breathing. And it's, and then I developed a grim determination that fuck it, I'm going to stay here, and these fucking thoughts aren't going to fuck me up anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then I had, and then I sat there, just kind of there was a little bit of stillness, kind of a stagnation for a minute, and then a bunch of more thoughts came, and I felt like a failure again. And then I thought about the serene expression on the face of the meditation teacher, and it, and then. I thought, man, they're so superior to me, and then I came back to, to my pathetic little meditation, and I felt like a failure again. Oh. that's what people do.
0: yeah, I know <laughs> I know constantly. and then you
1: talk to the you talk to the same person six months later, and by they by gritting their teeth and getting through hurt knees and so on, they somehow sort of managed to get there. And that's fine, you know, it's the it's it's heroic approach, and it works for some people. And, um, but it's not necessarily what the teacher was teaching. It's that people hear, when people are sitting there listening to meditation instructions, they're generally, inwardly, it's like kindergarten. And what they hear is the kindergarten teacher saying, sit still and shut up and don't wiggle And don't wool gather, don't let your mind wander. Mm. That's what people hear. It's just like, it's kindergarten or first grade. You're sitting there kind of rigid. If you have an itch, don't scratch. Like just all this, be uncomfortable. Be very, very uncomfortable. And so, you know, we're primed to make the whole thing much more complicated And um, I started meditating in a science lab, and I was around these physiologists. And so I was a guinea pig for 10 years, from 1968 to 78. I would go into the physiology lab at the University of California, and they'd poke me and stick wires all over my head and take blood samples every couple minutes and then inject dyes. Hmm. And I think they were injecting dyes into one arm, and then. Um, pulling it out of the other arm to measure blood flow. So wow. my, I can't believe what I did. I used, I used to have all these scars all over my arms from mm-hmm. these giant catheters that they would. Oh. the doctor would put in my arms. Like, Were you getting the paid,
0: wrist, you getting paid for this? Is that why you did it?
1: <laughs> no. 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 Uh, I was hardcore missionary for mm-hmm. meditation for basically my entire 48 years. Yeah. Um I should really be in therapy about this, I think. I think uh, it's like that's too much.
0: <laughs> well, but because you've been so dedicated, you um have come to some you know, some very different ideas about what meditation is. You've gone so deeply into the practice and all the variations of the of what that practice can be. So I thank you for enduring all the needles and, and whatever it is.
1: You're welcome. That you've You're welcome. So, well, let's get back to adaptability. So if, if you can take a regular person and this is what they did at Harvard medical school for decades, this regular people have them come into the lab and here's a Xerox sheet, like here's how to meditate. It's like, pick a word you like anything. It could be, Jesus, it could be the Lord's prayer, it could be the word ocean, which is an incredible mantra. It could be a subtle motion. Anyway, pick something you want to hang out with. And then okay, go ahead. Hang out with that. And then you measure them. So they're sitting in a lab and in spite of the fact that there's people in white coats and all of that and they're wired up in slightly uncomfortable. In three to five minutes, they settle into a state of rest deeper than sleep. Well, that's why the data points to meditation being a human instinct.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Because that's not somebody who's done yoga for 50 years. That's just a beginner.
0: Right. That's the body taking itself where it knows to go.
1: Exactly. And, and yet it's a wakeful state. You're awake most of the time meditating, although if you have a sleep deficit, you'll, you'll fall asleep during meditation, which is fine. Mm-hmm. And so here's the, here's the summary of decades of research at Harvard Medical School, which was published in peer-reviewed journals uh, hundreds of times. When people follow these simple instructions, the decrease in oxygen consumption is dramatic and immediate on average decreasing by 10 to 17% within the first three minutes. So that's an index of profound restfulness. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So the skill of meditation is to be restful and you're not fighting anything. And that's the skill and it's best learned one to one from a teacher who's been trained cuz there's a precision of language there's the teacher in about 30 minutes even less sometimes you can communicate to somebody actually get them meditating effortlessly and it's it's the being skillful with no effort that lets the person experience that delicious restfulness.
2: Mm-hmm. If
1: you're working at it and straining and beating yourself up, you won't be as restful. And also that's what you practice. Once you start beating yourself up during meditation and making yourself wrong, that will tend to persist forever, basically.
0: So that now, becomes part of your practice, is beating yourself up. That's,
1: yeah, a lot of people, what they're practicing is beating themselves up.
0: Oh, that's horrible.
1: It's like meditation is like dog training. If you gave, if you get taught dogs, like sit, stay, shut up. Don't bark. Don't wag your tail. Just sit. Yeah. No, don't even whine. And no, don't look at me longingly. If you train the dog that that's what a good dog is, just sit, stay, give up all hope, you're not going for a walk. You just, you sort of break their spirit. So meditation sometimes is training people to break their own spirit. And it, it has, and for some people that's what it does. Now, um, other people try this. People are so wildly different that Some people, for example, rebel against all rules. Rebels do well in meditation as long as they stick to their guns. So you'll find people that are, like, glowing in any meditation group, and it's because they don't give a shit. They're just pretending to follow, just like, let these fools. Whatever those fools do it's fine. But within themselves, they're making up their own game completely.
0: And following it. And following it, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: So they're fo- they'll be fine, yeah. Now, let's go back to the physiology of meditation. Now, we all know what's called the stress response. It's it's wired into the body. If you even get a little bit afraid, like something said, "Oh my god, I'm late to file my income tax," or "Oh my god, I call oh, my mother-in-law on her birthday, and she's gonna be so pissed immediately," like. Or if you're out walking and you see a big dog lunge at your dog like that, or mm-hmm. something. Sure. There's all these. Well, the stress response is actually like a thousand different degrees where your body will meter out little teeny bits of it as what it thinks is appropriate. And it's fun. Like going to see a movie where you really care about the characters and, oh, my God, they're in danger, whatever the movie is, mm-hmm. Titanic. Oh, my God, the boat's sinking. Oh, those people are so wonderful. You you run through all these stressful things, and it's great fun. You care about the people in the movie, and they're in danger.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they're surrounded, or it looks bad. Everything, the world is arrayed against them, but they're true of heart and smart and they're working hard and they have allies or whatever that's all the stress response your body is going through surges of chemicals as be- as you follow along on the adventures so stress isn't bad it's it's adapting to change it's a set of genius absolute genius level Adaptive responses where you're adapting to change, say in the movie world. This also happens to us all day long in the regular world. And it's stressful getting married. It's stressful getting divorced. It's all these things. It's stressful having your kids leave home. It's stressful having babies. It's stressful getting a new job, moving, getting a raise.
0: Mm hmm retiring it's all stressful yes even your changes, body, even changes that you want can be stressful absolutely
1: moving going on vacation is
0: stressful yes going on vacation and can be
1: stressful so your body is there your brain is computing all this stuff 100 times a second and trying to dial in as best it can Exactly the hormonal mix to prepare you to deal with that change. That's what the body's doing
2: constantly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Now in in rest states, when we sleep and dream, or if we take five, we go on vacation, the brain immediately goes, ah, thank God. Like, it's like if you've been cooking all day and having a party, the brain takes time to clean up the kitchen. So, when you meditate, your brain rarely is gonna go quiet. It's actually gonna speed up. It's like if you just say dinner for 20 people and your friends are all over there talking and the kitchen is a catastrophe and you can't even make dessert. There's no, you can't even like, get to the refrigerator to get the after dinner or wine or whatever because there's so much stuff. Well, you go in and you just start cleaning while everybody's talking unless you have, like, lots of maids. So
2: in we were meditate either way, yeah.
1: yeah, well, <laughs> either way, in a way, it is like maids, but you, you're sitting there in the kitchen with all the maids bustling around.
2: Mm-hmm. When you
1: meditate, your brain does a lot of maintenance because it's a restful state. So it's going to clean up a lot of it. You'll see there, let's say, every, it's sorting thoughts, it's kind of doing mm-hmm. the dishes and vacuuming and clearing the counter and wiping things down and getting ready to go and recharging its batteries and, and assessing and part of meditation is your brain will actually think of all the stressful things that have happened recently. Mm -hmm. And it'll be going, did I dial in the right amount of hormones for that? Did I do too much or not enough? And this is everyone, it complains about this endlessly. And it's wrong. It's part of the genius of the brain. The brain's there. You're sitting there meditating. It's going, you know, that thing that happened yesterday, that really wasn't that important, and I really threw off the handle, but it was a waste of energy. Or that other thing, I was blasé about it, but actually that deserves more attention. So whenever you rest, including during meditation, the brain is very busy surveying, how it adapted to change and retuning itself to do better. The body is a learning machine. The brain is a learning machine. Mm -hmm. And meditation, meditation is best approached as service of the body-mind adapting to change. That's how to be healthy in meditation. You risk, you risk your life slightly if you approach meditation as a spiritual practice, or I'm going to be better at being subservient to the guru, or I'm going to try to reform myself to fit into a spiritual ideal, that's, that's dangerous. Um, when I say dangerous, it's, quote, dangerous. Meditation is less dangerous than sitting on your sofa, but sitting too much, it's like, Sitting too much makes your body atrophy and your muscles, and your, you start to slump. And like sitting is the new smoking, so it's quote dangerous unquote. Yes. In other words, you'll waste time, you'll you'll waste time, and you'll create imbalances in your life. That's right. It's you'll, best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's best to look at, to honor the instinctive healthiness of meditation. Is that I'm giving my body mind system this incredible rest that's deeper than sleep. That this is the adaptation response. I'm letting my body recharge and retune this adaptive genius. And when you approach meditation in this way, you can be your own guru because you can tell, usually the very same day, if you ask 20 minutes meditating, you can say, you know, I'm just functioning a little bit better. And it's like I'm 2% better today. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm a little bit more alert. I got more of a groove on. I'm I'm more fully present as they say. Yes. I've got more delight. I'm more resilient.
0: Yes, big one. There's uh-huh. more
1: relaxation but my- and I'm more appropriate. That is just cuz life happens too rapidly to go around calculating. There's people are constantly throwing stuff at you and it's just going to it's going to get you, it's got to be reflexive. What meditation is good for, it's that your instinctive reflexes are better. Mm-hmm. Right. It's almost, like, it's almost like if somebody wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, what about this? That your it's almost like your un, almost unconscious response is more finely tuned to be you. All right, I'm going to shut up for a while. You That's go right. on.
0: No, no, no. I just have one last question to ask you here, which is, so, you know, you're saying that there are all these entry points to meditation and that they vary, you know, from day to day or can vary from day to day and certainly vary from person to person. So how do you make meditation a practice and what is the benefit of having a practice of meditation? And, and usually practice implies um, doing something cons- with some sort of consistency?
1: Well, that's the million-dollar question. You know, it's, it? it's different for everyone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's, yeah, because there's no one system that works for everybody. So if you really want to start meditating, just start to wonder, what is my meditation practice? Actually, wonder. You can just take walks. Go take walks every day. Just take a 20-minute walk every day for a month. And wonder, I wonder what my meditation practice is. It's worth it.
0: Mm. You lose
1: nothing. <laughs> start to wonder.
0: Wonder. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then Meditation Made Easy, which is um, my book, published by Harper. It's available everywhere. Is a great way to start. Read it slowly. Like, read, read one sentence a day if you want. The book is designed... So to read a sentence or a paragraph and then go take a walk or, or go listen to music or go dancing or go eat some food. Slowly sip at meditation made easy. Or if you like something more poetic, read the Radiant Sutras, which is published by Sounds True, which is more, um, it's more like song lyrics.
0: Can I read it's, something um, I, you know, in... Uh... In preparing for our conversation today, I just uh, picked up the Radiant Sutras and opened <clears throat> arbitrarily, quote-unquote, um, to a page that, uh, just to inform me, and I opened up to the sutra, the verse number 10, which is, yeah. the, do, you know, do you know it by heart or should I read it? No, you read it. The journey begins here with whatever is capturing your attention. Are you gazing at the patterns on some wall? Are you daydreaming about a celebrity? Is there someone you love and long to cling to, disappear into, a soul who is a chalice for beauty to pour into the world? Whatever your focus, give your whole being, gradually, step by step, the infinity from which you both have emerged will encompass you with blessing. I think that's a perfect poem for what you've been talking about this whole yeah, time.
1: Yeah, that's from, that's from this classic yoga meditation text called the Vinyana Bhairava Tantra. And that's the tenth practice given. So the first nine are these classical meditation techniques that are famous in all the traditions. They're used by everybody. Breathing and Kundalini and mantras and energy flows in the body and um, and then it says or you could just use any just use anything mm-hmm. are you looking at that wall over there and then one of the words um, one of the Sanskrit words used in the text means a chalice or an excellent person or an actor in a play. And so that that sense, because actors are symbolic for us. They carry the archetypes. You know, mm-hmm. the, when we think of an actor, like Angelina Jolie or something like that woman warrior, mother, you know, que- like she's like a queen, does it all, or whoever you're thinking of, whatever celebrity catches your attention. That makes sense. They're a chalice for beauty to enter the world. Mm. You're admiring that in other words, you're meditating on one of the gods or goddesses or the archetypes. You think you're thinking of an actor, but you're actually, you're sure. embodying a classical archetype. So yeah, that's an amazing. That's one of the things I love about this text, is that in in 162 sentences, it it's <laughs> somehow surveys such a huge array of human experience.
0: Yes, one of
1: the practices is or or, one of the practices is orgasm because everybody knows
0: that a
1: great orgasm feels like God. And then the next practice is that even the memory of a kiss or the memory of an embrace. You can meditate on the memory of love making. It's astonishing.
0: Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. So Lauren, I have loved talking with you all this time. And um, I want to be sure that we tell listeners how they can find you and uh, study with you and read your books and learn more about you. So what's the best way to find you?
1: The simplest is go to com. I'm pretty much the only Lauren Roche in the world. Which that's, is, that's pretty interesting. Compl- comp- yeah, I complained to my dad once, like, how come I'm Lauren? Why aren't it like Jimmy or, you know, Stevie or whatever? He says, well, if you don't like Lauren, you can go by your middle name. But now I think it's cool. It's L O R I N. Yes. R-O-C-H-E. But if you just type Lauren Roche in, the, in your search engine of your choice, you'll you'll find me
0: definitely will find you
1: and yeah.
0: Thank you, Sharon.
1: This is what we have to take a walk to the beach again. Everybody, Sharon and I, we take these long walks along the beach in Santa Monica and talk about everything under the sun. And it's so great.
0: I love it. It's our walk in meditation. It's our shared meditation. Yeah. 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 We'll do it soon. Maybe next week. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sharon. Okay. Okay, all right, bye. This has been Passing for Normal, conversations about seeding change in the world. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to sharonweilauthor.com. You can also find out more about Changeability, the book, and about all of the guests featured in this podcast at that website. Large or small, go out today and make a brave change. Whether creating something new or responding to a changing world, navigating change is the new stability.